The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member. And we don't mean your Aunt Dolores. You stink! The TNT Shop has it all at tntradio.live. Lembit Opic. You're listening to Lembit Opic on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Very good morning to you. If you're in the UK, four minutes past six, Greenwich Mean Time. Really glad you could join us. Hope you had a very good weekend. Though, of course, if you're in Australia, the weekend's long gone. You're on drive time, heading home. Well, wherever you are in the world, welcome to the home of free speech, where we light the fuse for freedom. Uh, this is our sincere and determined attempt to make the media what it should be, a place for facts, expressed opinions clearly labelled, and a venue for you to draw your conclusions based on the facts. We censor nobody. If you're not happy with what you're hearing, go to tntradio.live and have your comments in the chat box. There's no cost to it, and you get the opportunity to have your comments read out if you want them read out as well, of course. Uh, you'll also find our phone numbers there. So get involved in the conversation. A big thank you to those of you who've been getting in touch through the email, uh, particularly Ali. Uh, I'll be getting in touch with you later on about vaccine injuries. Uh, you seem to have had a pretty tragic experience amongst your family and friends. Uh, so do if you've got something you want us to raise, uh, then do go to TNT radio.live and get in touch coming up in this hour we have Gemma cooper i'll find out what she's been doing at the weekend and also what she's spotted in the news uh, she's always fantastic value erudite and informed she's based in the united kingdom but she has a global perspective then we go all the way to the other side of the world the simeon boykov who might be raising questions about the uh, long-standing uh, issue of whether the Australian Premier will, Premier will make it to the end of his term. Uh, more on that with uh, Simeon in a short while. Then we go to Eddie Lloyd, and she has some fascinating revelations about big bank abuses. Uh, one man fought the banks, and the banks lost. An interesting development. Boy, if we could get that to happen here in the UK. I have one story to share about that as well. Uh, but we'll come to that in a short while. Then we go all the way to Cuba to speak to Ed Augustine. And uh, there's been some uh, debate about whether Cuba should be under sanctions. And as often happens, the United Nations quite resolutely takes one position while America and the UK take a different one. Well, Ed Augustine is literally our man in Havana. He'll be talking about that breaking story. And uh, of course, whatever you've got on your mind, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, go to tntradio.live. Uh, and you can get in touch uh, with the phone numbers there as well. Just want to highlight a couple of stories. Uh, more captives have been uh, freed in Gaza and also from Israel. We'll be covering that in the second hour of my show. Uh, and the question is, can this truce be made to last? As I mentioned last week, we were in an amazing situation where world leaders were saying, no, we have to fight on. We don't want a ceasefire. When did this happen exactly? Fighting for war, make war, not peace. I thought it was meant to be the other way around. And we'll be talking about that in the second hour. Uh, also, you've just been hearing it could be that there's a serious problem uh, for the Ukrainian side and even winning that war. It's not really a fashionable war now, is it? Everyone's talking about Gaza and Israel instead. Uh, we'll have a little look at that as well. 
Then there was a clash of conservative titans, uh, Lachemerdos Kiev, solidarity versus Corey Bernardi's distraction claim. That was in, in the Australian news. In a stunning contrast, uh, the head honcho of News Corps jetted to Kiev, signaling a bold stance for Ukraine. I'm quoting from Australian news, while Sky News' Corey Bernardi uh, spattered off about the conflict being a mere distraction. Who's right? Well, uh, Politics makes makes strange bedfellows, and so does the media. That's the slight problem I have with the old-fashioned media. What they do is they try to pass off opinions as facts. We don't do that here. We will give our opinions, but we don't expect you to accept them on the basis of our say-so alone. Whatever's on your mind, whatever you think, I'll get to your chats as soon as I can. And as I say, we'll be talking about the vindication for bank victims advocate in fight against ASIC, ASIC, and uh, Red Faces for Combank, Michael West. That's what we're going to be discussing in this hour as well. Whatever is on your mind, though, do please let us know. Love to hear your points of view. I'm Lemmy Topic. This is TNT Radio. Conversations to inform and include. It's meant for everyday people to understand. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Let's get on with it with Gemma Cooper. Good morning, Gemma Cooper. How are you? How was your weekend? Yeah, it was very good, actually. I went down to Glastonbury, where I spend quite a lot of my time these days, and it was the uh, annual Frost Fair, which is like when all the market traders get their stalls out onto the street, they close the roads, and it was really good, but it's become a victim of its own success, I think, now. I mean, Glastonbury is always a very busy place, but it was rammed, rammed full of people. But it was such a beautiful day, Saturday, here in the UK. Blue skies, clear, crisp, classic winter's day. It was absolutely lovely. How about you? Uh, I spent the time moaning about the rain and wishing for climate change. But there we go. <laughs> I had to accept the winter was winter. I went for a wonderful walk with my six-year-old. I live opposite some big fields and uh, it was icy, but it was just really good as well. Uh, and then I did an international conference uh, about uh, space habitation, uh, populating space. That's what I did on Saturday. So most of it was work, but, you know, it's not. It's pretty high-flying work, stellar work, if you like. Uh, but it's always good to be back and seeing you, Gemma. I missed you. Oh, did you now? I oh, did you now? Well, unfortunately, I'm the bearer <laughs> of bad tidings the, this morning uh, because a, a story, it's an investigation, actually, about uh, the one thing that really you're not allowed to talk about and you're not allowed to criticise. But I think it's, you know, I really do need to take a look at this. And that's the NHS. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, a, a survey has been carried out, an investigation based on freedom of information figures, um, and it makes for quite depressing reading. And I'm using this story as really as a contrast to what's happened over the last three and a half years, where even if one person died with or after testing positive for, you know, people would jump up and down and go, one death is a death too many and all of that and the hysteria that we were in with the, the COVID period. Um, but unfortunately, it really does look like the NHS is um, <clears throat> not fit for purpose anymore here in the UK. Uh, the survey has revealed that almost 8,000 people over the last, uh, well, the last year really, were harmed and 112 people sadly died due to delays and waits for ambulances or surgery. I mean, the figures are quite shocking. In uh, 20, in 2019, this survey has revealed, this report has revealed, 21 people died as a result of delays. In 2022, that figure has jumped up to 112. That's a huge percentage increase. The number of people that suffered severe harm 
uh, due to delays um, in 2019 was 96. Last year, in 2022, that figure had risen to 152. And overall, the number of people suffering harm as a result of delays in the NHS, either waiting for an ambulance or waiting for surgery, has risen from nearly 4,000 in 2019 to nearly 8,000 last year. That's a 97% increase. Now, I'm using this because can you imagine if any one of those deaths was in in 2020? One death was a death too many. That was what they kept saying, isn't it, the NHS and the government about COVID deaths, inverted commas, you know, really after testing positive four. But now there's, there seems to be a wide acceptance of like, well, that's just the NHS now that hasn't got enough money. Um, obviously, the government refused to give the NHS a billion pound bailout to cover the help cover the cost of some of the industrial action that's been happening in the UK, but also just to tackle the waiting list. We've got 8 million people now on these waiting lists. And these figures show very clearly that some of those 8 million are, are dying uh, or, or suffering life altering harm as a result of these delays. Now, just the contrast with, you know, one death is a death too many. And now it's like, oh yeah, well, we've got 8,000 people who've been harmed, but you know, that's just the way it is. Um, and also the NHS as well, controversially, has just awarded a 480 million pound contract uh, to the American firm Palantir um, to make this new federated data platform. So it seems the money can be allocated to things like data harvesting, which is, you know, data is like gold, isn't it? Now that's the new currency in our world, but it can't find the money, you know, to stop people dying and, and suffering serious harm. Very sad story of one man who died of a heart attack after waiting 18 minutes, not for the ambulance to arrive, but for his 999 call to be answered. That's a 20 minute wait. I mean, you get through to a telecoms company if you want to, you know, leave your you leave your service provider, you'll get through quicker to your mobile phone company than you will to a 999 call. And he was tragically dead by the time the ambulance eventually did arrive. And I'm just thinking if these were COVID deaths, you know, the government would be hysterical. But because they're, oh, they're just delays for, you know, surgery and they're sorry about that in the NHS, it just shows the contempt with which our government hold us. And also the fact that the contrast is the last few years just it it couldn't be more stark could it from 2020 to 2022 couple of thoughts that phrase that you described that well-worn phrase uh, if we can save one life we should do it one death is a death too many uh, that's always irritated me when politicians say it because when they say that like there's something called uh, uh vision zero about having no deaths on the roads then they have to ban cycling and walking and horse riding because they all kill people it's one of those tokenistic pieces of rubbish they don't even believe on that second point you make of course they need to have a look at what they did to us with the vaccines this is the great cover-up uh I, I had the conversation again at the weekend with somebody i know who's quite genuinely surprised that i was convinced that i'd had a vaccine injury but uh listeners now uh, viewers are, are getting in touch with tnt radio giving us their personal testimony and it seems to me, Gemma, that there are kind of good deaths and bad deaths, deaths that don't matter and can't be talked about, and deaths that really matter. And the whole of the NHS is now being politicised. The NHS has saved my life, and it kept my mother alive probably 15 or 18 years longer than she would have been if it hadn't been for the NHS. But now it's all mixed up because of COVID. And uh, I, I fear now uh, that the whole thing is in a quagmire, Gemma. Gemma. Yeah, it, absolutely. But I wonder if it's by by design um, and the human cost, of course, you know, if that was your brother or your uncle or your dad that died after waiting 18 minutes for somebody to pick up the phone, 
to say, you know, what's your emergency? I mean, that's quite staggering, actually. And they've admitted in this report as well that uh, they, they are now stacking the 999 calls because they haven't got enough people to answer the telephones. Um, but the government was asked for a billion pounds to help out. And the government, which sp- spent the last three and a half years saying, stay at home, protect the NHS, save lives, the NHS, the NHS, go out and clap for the NHS. Oh, great. Can we have a billion pounds, please? No. We don't care about you that much. And it's got plenty of, you know, that we can send money for war, as you rightly say, keep on fighting for war. Um, and can we have a billion pounds to sort out our health service? You know, the greatest thing probably to come out of this country? No, we're not going to give you any money. You go and sort yourselves out. In the meantime, yeah. people are dying. It's, it's terrible. It's terrible. Uh, the other thing I've noticed is, well, let me start that sentence again. When I worked in Newcastle-upon-Tyne on the council, I was a councillor. Newcastle, for those who don't know, is, is a northern city. It's a lovely place. Uh, maybe the whole area has got one and a half million people in its area. Do you know what the average response time to answering the phone was at a very busy local authority uh, call centre? I'll tell you, 0.6 seconds. They made it a priority. 0.6 seconds. And yet the NHS is so strapped for cash now, they can't even get to the emergency calls. I wonder if this is happening with the police as well. Could be. I, I Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. It's just, I find it staggering that it is the NHS, which with the government, it was the mantra of the UK government, yeah. you know, NHS, NHS, we must save the NHS. Well, can we have a billion pounds to save the NHS, please? No. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's a Monday morning. I don't want to depress everybody, but it does rather show the contempt in which the government holds the, the the people who need the NHS, you know, people who can't afford private health care, who, are, you know, have paid their taxes into the NHS. Mm. Um, and, and and it's just like people are dying now at record levels. Uh, and, and you're quite right. We haven't even looked at the excess death rate and how that's contributed to these figures. That report hasn't even touched that because it's a stream investigation so they won't hasn't looked at how many of these the figures are due you know the, the strain is now due to vaccine damage it won't the mainstream won't go there um but you know it's our nhs and it's just on its knees and it is a very depressing and sobering thought i think if you were ill now the last place you'd want to go would be a hospital i'm afraid uh the uk fyi the uk has now committed five thousand million pounds to the war in ukraine I'm not sure how much we've put into the uh, conflict in the Middle East, but we can't afford to pay for emergency services to answer those calls quickly. It's tragic because, as I say, I've got huge respect for the rank and file who work in the NHS, but the management and the political mismanagement of our uh, health service now just makes me so despondent. The crown jewels of what you might call the welfare state being compromised, being tarnished by political decisions. What's the way out? Do you, is there an answer, Gemma? I don't know. I think it would change has to come from within these organisations, possibly. Um, whether that will happen, I don't know. And I, I wonder what the morale is like of people in the NHS. If, if you are working to answer those 999 calls, which can be so distressing, uh, and then you realise that the fact that the delay, somebody died because somebody couldn't pick up the phone in time. I wonder what effect that has on staff morale. I mean, we've had industrial action here in the UK um, from doctors and, and nurses. That's over pay. But um, there's been a few doctors come out, uh, surgeons actually, and say what, what the morale is like in the NHS. And that's rock bottom too. So the human cost is the patient, the patients waiting for emergency calls and surgery. But it's also the human cost of like 
dragging yourself into work every day in an organization that's failing. I mean, that, that's, that's, that has an effect that can make you ill. So it's, it's twofold really. Um, change comes from within, it comes from lobbying. Um, but I don't know the, the NHS is a very unwieldy beast, isn't it? 42 trusts around the UK, they'll all be operated slightly differently with different chief executives, but the management, yeah. And the salaries in management, I mean, that, that's a situation that look, look, needs looking at too, isn't it? And this is the NHS uh, in which the government uh, blew over £12 billion to have a unified uh, information system, and then they scrapped it. Thank you so much. Uh, that is Gemma Cooper. Have you experienced these problems in the UK, in the NHS? Let me know. Go to tntradio.life. You'll find the chat is active already. Well, it's active 24 hours a day, of course. Uh, and also, uh, you can phone in. I'd like to hear your stories, tragic as they may be. And what would be the solution if you were in charge? I'd like to know. Coming up next is the Premier of Australia in trouble. Will he make it through his term? Yossi Kosak himself. Simeon Boykoff joins me, fellow TNT presenter. That's all with me, Lemba Topic here on TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. 13 Israeli hostages released uh, as part of that ceasefire deal uh, 49 days after they were taken hostage. 49 days. So that still leaves about 225 to 227 more hostages. Uh, I'm with John Bolton, the former National Security Advisor to Donald Trump. I'm with Britt Hume of, uh, of Fox News. I'm with a bunch of other people who say this gives Hamas too much time to do whatever they want to do, to do whatever they need to do, to regroup, to rearm, to re-strategize. And as much as you want the hostages back, it can't be at the expense of the other part of the mission, which is to destroy Hamas. I think it's a mistake. Steve Malzberg on TNT Radio. She used to dance and dream of a better life, a brighter future, with nutritious food to eat, a chance to learn, to get an education, do incredible things. Today, thanks to Children International and friends like you, she dances for the world. Together, we give children in poverty a chance to set their sights high and achieve their dreams by ensuring that they have access to health care, education, life skills, and more so they can grow, thrive, and believe in themselves. Gracias. Gracias. Learn more about Children International and join us in our life-changing work at children.org today. TNTradio.live. Online. Online. Online streaming. Be a part of the conversation. I stream it all at work and I stream it to my phone and listen to it wherever I go. TNT. Good morning. 22 minutes past six here in the United Kingdom. Good afternoon or evening. If you're heading home in Sydney or at Melbourne, uh, wherever you are, you're most welcome. Uh, lots of chat going on. I've got to read these because in a moment I'll be speaking to Simeon. Um, uh, is is uh, Albanese going to make it to the end of his term is the question. Uh, Alex says, Albo is a joke. I call him Albozo. I'm not sure if it's done before, but I like it. Uh, Lozzie says, Albo is a fraud. 
Holly says, good morning to Ali. No, stick with the program. It'll, it'll, it'll wake you up. <laughs> Mark, good morning, fellow comrade. And uh, lots more discussion there. Um, Mazzy, yeah, good to see you again. Uh, just about the NHS, Holly says, the NHS is depressing. I think those figures are conservative. I imagine it's much higher, sadly, in terms of deaths. The NHS is toxic. Too many chiefs and not enough Indians, as my mother would say. Holly, I felt that about 30, 20 years ago when for in my view, ideological reasons. There was an entire new structure of management introduced that I didn't think was necessary. I'll get to the rest of your comments a little bit later on. Do keep them coming. Joining me now with an interesting question is Simeon, uh, Simeon Boykov. Uh, is the Prime Minister of Australia about to be deposed halfway through his term? Uh, in a worrying sign for Albanese, it seems that even the Australian corporate media have completely turned on him now. Joining me now uh, to... Uh, Really get the inside scoop on the situation is my fellow TNT presenter, Simeon Boykov. Simeon, uh, good afternoon to you. How are you doing? Excellent. Thank you, Lemon. How are you? Not bad. Probably better than uh, than Albo by the sound of it. What's going on? Well, Albanese is in hot water, and that was no uh, secret before this. Uh, this is just further confirmation that he could be on his way out. Uh, the mainstream media, who traditionally have been very loyal to him, all through his tenure from the beginning with all of their schemes and scams uh, against the people look like they're also turning on him the latest polling uh, data today revealing that he is at his lowest approval rating since becoming prime minister in may 2022. Uh, i've been quite surprised this morning with the flurry of activity uh, from all sorts of mainstream media outlets it looks like uh, the whole uh, wrath of the Australian corporate media has exploded against uh, the Prime Minister, the Daily Mail, the Herald Sun, uh, the Australian. Everybody is running the headline, Albo needs to go, or somewhere thereabouts. Albo is on his way out, or Albo's on his last legs, Albo's lowest ratings. The headlines are screaming at Albanese, and he does not have many friends at all uh, in his corner fighting for him. One friend which he may still have, which he's trying to probably cling on to, uh, is uh, President Zelensky of Ukraine. And this is something which we've been talking about, uh, speculating about for months now. It's the curse of the Zelensky handshake. Those who live by the Zelensky handshake will die by the Zelensky handshake. And we can we know there's a whole raft of former prime ministers, presidents, and world leaders that have made that trip to Kiev to shake hands with Zelensky to get their photo opportunity, and they are no longer uh, with us as politicians, uh, most notably your uh, uh, former colleague, the uh, Honourable Boris Johnson, very, very prominent with shaking hands with Zelensky. Now we see he's gone. He's added to the list of former politicians who have made that move. So the curse of Zelensky's handshake is real. It's actually a real thing. Uh, people are waiting and watching as to see when Albo will finally uh, by the dust and be toppled. Now, he's only halfway through his term. Halfway through his term, will uh, there be an opportunity to uh, somehow uh, sack him? It's not unusual for Australian politics for the prime ministers to be backstabbed by the members of their own team, their own cabinet. And that won't be a surprise if that happens. I'm sure there are plenty of uh, up-and-coming, aspiring Labor politicians who would love to take his place. Wouldn't be surprised if uh, Penny Wong is eyeing out the top job 
to be selected, not elected. But of course, the Australian people would be very upset if there was another uh, political overthrow and somebody was selected, not elected to come to power. The other side of the coin is uh, what is the replacement if it comes from Liberals, if the Liberals get into power? And that's not much better. Peter Dutton, the Liberal, the leader of the Liberals, is a very uh, staunch uh, uh, enemy of free speech, of freedom in general. And he's proven that throughout the years to the Australian people when he was uh, uh, yeah, uh, in power as a defence minister and held, held, held many postings where he was able to inflict his will upon the people. He was one of the architects of the Identify and the Disrupt uh, Bill, which uh, gave the government unlimited powers in terms of surveillance against its people. Uh, so the, feature, the future does not look very promising for Australia. There aren't many options on the table. And unfortunately, due to the two-party system, uh, it's very, very unlikely uh, that there will be a possibility of a minor party or a small party, a micro party, uh, coming forward with the candidate of prime minister. However, all around the world now, that seems to be the trend. As we can see in Argentina, there was an outside candidate, uh, virtually unknown, eccentric, uh, with uh, hardly any political history, has come to power. Who knows? Fingers crossed. We can just only hope that that might happen for Australia. And uh, at the moment, the perfect storm is coming for Albanese because he's running out of allies. The staunch left wing uh, faction that brought him to power, the Greens, the Labor voters, they've abandoned him over Palestine because Albanese was very friendly with Palestine. Uh, sorry, with Israel, should I say? In fact, no, I'm, I'm correct in saying that he was friendly with Palestine. If you look back to his student years, they're actually uh, archive video footage of him the former prime, uh, the Albanese as the uh, as a student, the future prime minister, speaking at Pal free Palestine rallies. Now being in the top job, he's taken a three hundred and sixty, and uh, initially he heavily backed Israel. Somewhat have uh, receded from that position in an attempt to suck up to the domestic uh, pressure at home. And another example of how domestic politics and domestic pressure and protests and lobbying, uh, grassroots protests in particular, can indeed affect. Uh, the geopolitical uh, situation which Australia is facing overseas. So there's a nice little as well message for the activists out there. Uh, your voice is heard. Your voice matters. And even though you may be uh, protesting on the streets, you may feel like you're doing something of a local caliber, of a domestic nature, it certainly does have its impact geopolitically. And that, um, that doesn't only go for this conflict. It goes for all conflicts. We know the massive pressure that was put on the Albanese regime throughout the special operation in Ukraine, not to commit more weapons, not to give more Australian taxpayer dollars, the uh, total now bill of committed weapons from Australia and money, should I say, just pure cash to the Zelensky regime, is that $980 million. I think uh, Prime Minister Albanese does not want to go over the $1 billion threshold. That will be a psychological moment that the people of Australia simply will not accept. And we, it's safe to say, in my opinion, that there might be capped the uh, support now from Australia, the financial support, the money, the cash, the laundering, really that's what it is. The uh, arms trafficking has stopped because Albanese uh, has bigger problems at home. He can't continue to support Zelensky because he himself might be out of the top job very, very soon. Uh, of course, if he is sinking, he can go somewhere which isn't sinking, which is Tuvalu. I saw the footage of him hanging around there. The irony, of course, is uh, he's flown there 
to talk about climate change and the fact we shouldn't fly. But they'll welcome him, I think, apart from the fact he wants to evacuate Tuvalu for the benefits that you described last week. Uh, your prediction then, how long will Albo last? Well, he'll last to the end of the year because we haven't got much left. But somewhere in the first half of 2024, I'm sure they're going to get rid of him. Again, it's very uh, common in Australian politics for a prime minister to be ousted by his own. And there are plenty of... Uh, vultures and hawks and eagles circling the carcass of Albanese. So it's time for Albo to uh, uh, accept that he's going to be thrown out of the uh, Kirribilli House, the Prime Minister's Lodge. And that's why he's been so eager to fly around the world and to get these trips uh, crossed off his bucket list, visit the White House, visit Beijing, visit wherever else he can, uh, while he still can enjoy the Prime Ministerial privileges. There are rumours that he's actually named the $250 million Prime Ministerial uh, business jet uh, after his pet poodle Toto. And that's how uh, out of touch with the cost of living crisis and with reality Albanese is. And the Australian people have had an absolute gutful. Uh, of course, we're ahead of you here in the United Kingdom. We're on to our third Prime Minister since the previous general election, one of whom lasted just around seven weeks before she actually i know about six weeks actually uh before she got deposed liz truss um to my shame i actually trained her when she was a student politician and never thought she'd get anywhere i turned out i had overestimated her she went backwards <laughs> in that job uh if you mentioned you mentioned the, the smaller parties if i might mention it there's a party called the reform uk party here and the british public are so despondent about the two main parties here that uh, reforms now on about ten or eleven percent, which is quite high considering there was a tiny fraction of a of a, of, a, of, a, of the polls beforehand. Um, what should the public do? Do you think in Australia then to set the matter right? You put the last part. Sorry, what to the public? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, basically, uh, what should the two, public do? You got yeah, you got two options. You got two options at the moment. The two main parties. What do you think would be an elegant solution? How do you get out of this duopoly? Well, we need really a solid, strong Conservative Party to emerge. Maybe a strong uh, candidate, a strong leader who can lead the masses. Unfortunately, at the moment, the uh, micro-minor parties in Australia haven't yielded that type of person yet. Unfortunately, uh, the Greens have a strong uh, position, and the Greens would be now considered the third party in Australia, and support uh, for Albanese is fading amongst his own ranks in Labor, uh, but doesn't mean that people are crossing over to the right or the conservative parties because there are no really options no solid serious options mm -hmm. people don't want to join the liberal party or vote for the liberal party because they understand the liberal party is the same thing as labor they'll leave labor they'll go to the greens but that doesn't help us either that's even worse that just means the greens are becoming more strong and the, the wokeness and the, the craziness of the greens is going to further dominate uh, australian politics and everything that goes with their agenda so the future does not look bleak for Australia. I can't report any uh, scenario or any predictions. Uh, well, the prediction is it's a disaster and there's nothing we can do about it. But if you go off the results of the referendum, where 70% of the country voted against the government's uh, proposed changes, that's 70% of the, of the country does not trust what the government is spoon-feeding them. That's a very good number. So that the... And saying that the grounds are fertile, the pastures are green for political change yeah. and for somebody to walk uh, through the front doors of parliament and kick the door down and uh, assume a position of a people's leader.
That's what we Thank need you. in Australia. Well, I know that who that leader is. It's you. Thanks very much indeed, Simeon Boykoff. Outrageous allegation. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much, Simeon. Uh, he'll be back tomorrow. So tell me what you think about what you've heard. Lots on the chat as well. Coming up next, uh, we're going to talk about someone who took on the banks and the banks lost. All of that with me, Lemba Topic, here on TNT Radio. We interrupt this program. Here we go. This is huge, huge, huge news. Huge, huge, huge news. Huge. You need to listen to this. Now, TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. A senior official in Ukraine has revealed then-UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson stopped Kyiv from reaching a peace deal with Russia last year. Terrorists with dual Australian citizenship could be stripped of their citizenship status under new laws set to be introduced to Parliament later this week. And more than 100 climate protesters have been arrested and charged in Australia following a 30-hour long demonstration which seen protesters block a major seaport. Don't miss a thing. Be sure to download the TNT radio app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play so you can easily listen live to us anywhere, anytime. Available right now to download. Keeping you up to speed on TNT radio. Uh, greetings, uh, just around 25 to 7, uh, Greenwich Mean Time. Uh, good afternoon, evening to you, Melbourne and Sydney, and good uh, afternoon to you in Perth, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to Meet Lembotopic here on TNT Radio. Now, who fought the banks and the banks lost? Telling To, to tell us the answer to that question, uh, joining us now is Eddie Lloyd, uh, accredited criminal lawyer, law specialist and double speak translator. Eddie, uh, good day to you. Hi, how are you going? Very well, thanks, but not as well as it seems to be going about the subject of our discussion today. Uh, it seems that sometimes the banks can be beaten by individuals. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's go to the background here. This story is, seems to be about someone who was just apparently being hung out to drive by the banks, but the whole thing was thrown out in court. Tell us about the story and who was involved. Yeah, so it's another case of the little guy taking on, you know, the David and Goliath story and winning, which doesn't often happen. Um, but I think back in 2011, Jeff Shanahan um, started a website called Unhappy Banking, and he got flooded with people making complaints about not being happy with what the bank was doing and being too harsh and punitive on them in terms of paying back loans. He did a lot of advocacy for farmers, um, and it wasn't until 2021 that ASIC decided to investigate um, him to say that he had um, breached the Corporations Act by operating a business when he was a discharged bankrupt. And the magistrate this week decided that that was not correct and that, as he has always maintained, he was not guilty. That's what the court found. But for poor Mr Shanahan, he has just been hunted down um, by the big end of town and we're just seeing this often, too often actually with our government and too many scandals in too many government departments. That's really bringing down people's confidence um, that they can trust um, what's going on. We saw the social security, the Centrelix the, uh, scandal, the robo-debt, we've seen the PwC scandal, uh, and particularly with ASIC and EPA and a lot of other regulators, they're not doing the job that they're supposed to. Just tell us, what is ASIC? What is CBA for those who aren't in Australia? 
Um, CBA is one of our big four banks. It's the Commonwealth Bank of Australia. And it was such a, a colourful case in some ways because Mr Shanahan uh, was in a relationship with what who turned out to be the Crown Star witness against him um, when she jumped ship and started seeing someone from another big bank, National Australia Bank, and they conspired to provide the Commonwealth Bank with some dirt um, on Shanahan, to, which led to him being charged. And you know what's really crazy about this situation is that ASIC are only supposed to prosecute people um, who have done some very serious harm or wrongdoing. And when you look at all of the harm and wrongdoing by some of the big people in town and a blind eye being turned, it's it's pretty pretty disgusting um, that he was hunted down so badly. Now, ASIC is the regulatory body. That's right, isn't it? A huge, big, well-resourced, well-funded body. That's correct. The cops for, you know, um, uh, businesses and companies, and they alleged that he had a company when he just had a website the entire time. So... Yeah, very, very, very um, disheartening for Australians. and um, But unfortunately, no surprises. We've had so many royal commissions into government departments and, um, you know, nothing is changing. And we know why, because our politicians uh, want to get their jobs after they leave parliament. And we see them all going into these cushy jobs. We know about John uh, Barilaro was trying to get a great job. Kevin Rudd, he's the US ambassador now. Um, Berejiklian, Glad Gladys Berejiklian, who was the New South Wales Premier that was investigated by the Crime Commission here. She's now tipped to take the big job at Optus. Um, the list just goes on and on. And Anna Bly, who was a um, Labor Premier in Queensland, she heads up the Australian Banking Association. So they've got their mates everywhere and they're choosing mates over merit every single time. And that's what I think they're protecting in terms of going after the little guys that are exposing those links to the top, just like we saw with David McBride and what's happened with him. Uh, yes, I, I was a member of parliament in the UK. It never occurred to me to do any of that. That either <laughs> makes me naive or them cynical, or maybe both. Uh, how did, well, well, I've got to ask you this question. This chap didn't have many resources. How did he win? Oh, he just, he's just one of those um, people, just incredibly resilient and knew he was right, you know, and no matter what dirt they pulled out and attacked him with, he just kept turning up to court. There was one, at one point, he was in hospital after recovering from a very serious back surgery and he was like compelled to attend the court. They didn't accept the medical certificate. It was, it was just disgusting. And what's even more galling about this case is, so ASIC have that very high threshold as to who they have to prosecute, someone who's done some very serious wrongdoing. They then referred it to the Commonwealth Director of Public Prosecutions and they have their own prosecution policy, whether or not to prosecute somebody. And they're meant to look at whether the investigation against Mr Shannon was done correctly, which we now know it was a shoddy investigation. They didn't even check it. Um, whether or not there's enough evidence there. So clearly the Commonwealth Director of Public Prosecutions, that whole department, um, it's, there's very, I'm very suspicious about whether or not they're carrying out the independent role that they should be in prosecuting people because it was clearly not in the public interest to prosecute Mr Shannon and clearly in the public interest to prosecute a whole heap of other people and corporations. What does this mean for the general public, this ruling? What does the public benefit from this if it's if it's honoured? 
Well, um, it means that you can win against the government. It means that the little guy can win, but that's not going to give anyone comfort that he's going to whistleblow or um, try to take on, you know, the the, the big the big end of town and parliament because they, it, it's just, you know, I know that Jeff Shanahan suffered um, suicidal ideation, you know, as a result of this. Like most people who blow whistles do suffer very terribly because everyone gets together, the government and their mates and the bureaucrats, and they do everything they can to shut them down. So I don't think it's going to encourage people to uh, come out, uh, but it is it is good to see. I'm heartened that there are little people and that they, our court system is working. I guess that's the one good thing we can take from this is that the judiciary still have a little bit of independence and are rectifying the wrongs that Parliament and uh, the banks are doing. Uh, and what did Jeff Shanahan essentially prove? That he was he was operating a website, as I understand it, and it wasn't a company or business as defined under the Corporations Act, which they allege that he breached. Uh, this, I would guess, uh, would be encouraging to Jeff, despite all of the hardships he's had. But which do you think is going to happen? Will those corporations uh, alter their behaviour, or will they simply toughen up their fighting power? Mm. I don't think they're going to be deterred. I'm sure it costs millions and millions of dollars. And it's it's frightening that, you know, thank you for you um, doing this interview on it because it's barely, it's not going to hit the mainstream at all, you know, because they're, you know, I have to say I'm pretty disappointed in the journalists uh, in Australia that seem to just, you know, not be reporting independently and, um, and, and stories in the public interest. They seem to be parroting what... Um, their mates in government might want them to be telling Australia. So it's very frightening. And um, I just think that it's important that we get this story out and David McBride's story, the real story, um, about the, the silencing of people who want to expose the truth and speak truth to power. David McBride's just uh, published a book, hasn't he, which is thematically in similar territory, but obviously on a different subject. Yes, I mean that was just disgraceful. He was up for, you know, whatever the if their death penalty was on 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 the table, he could have gotten that. And uh, he just he was forced. He was ambushed not only by um, uh, the AFP, who didn't even investigate. This is another thing, you know. People are not investigating. They're just they didn't even question anything that Mr. that Mr. McBride alleged about those higher up commanders and governor generals and people like that that he identified and complained about. They didn't even ask one question. They just had a mandate to prosecute him. And then the Commonwealth Director of Public Prosecutions has done the prosecution in the court. And they have just, like, you know, very much cherry-picked what they wanted to pick out of his interview to misrepresent him. And then we had our Commonwealth Attorney-General, who is the highest legal officer in Australia, coming into the court and taking away all of uh, Mr McBride's defence evidence that he was going to rely on. So he had no choice but to, to plead guilty, and, and that's how these people operate. This is how our government is operating at the moment, to silence people, and we're turning into an autocracy, and um, people are asleep, and we just got to let as many people know as possible what's going on with their government. If I don't do dinner parties, but if I did do a dinner party, I would invite uh, McBride, Shanahan, and you. Uh, I would probably be able to sell tickets for that, but probably not to the corporations because they would accuse me of running a business. Thank you very much indeed, Eddie. Uh, that is Eddie Lloyd. We'll definitely have you back uh, with more insights into this kind of thing. Have you ever taken on the banks and lost? 
uh, I once uh, represented a, a band who actually had had a, a I think it was Adam and the Asbos they were called, and they had a uh, a hit. I got into the top ten in the UK called "I Fought the Banks" and "I Fought the Lloyds" and the Lloyds lost. I think it was similar sort of thing. Let me know your stories. Go to tntradio.live. Uh, you can share your comments there. Also, you'll find the phone numbers there. Do join us. Uh, lots of chat coming in. I'll, I'll get through those. Do stay with me. I'm here for another seventy five minutes, but I want to keep cantering on this show has its own momentum because after australia we've been in the uk as well we're going to cuba next to our man in havana all of that with me lambertopic here on tnt radio give me a minute with tnt radio's steve malsberg with joe biden behind in just about every presidential poll the strategy of the left seems to be to go after donald trump even harder than they've been doing for the past eight years if that's even possible. And on the media side, Joe Scarborough, whose brother-in-law works in the Biden administration, seems to be leading the charge. He will do, he will get away with, he will imprison, he will execute whoever he's allowed to imprison, execute, uh, 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 drive from the country. Just look at his past. And as unhinged as that was, it's nothing compared to what New York Democrat Congressman Dan Golden said the other day. It is just uh, uh, unquestionable at this point that that man cannot see public office again. He is not only unfit, he is destructive to our democracy, uh, and he has to be uh, he has to be eliminated. Now, after receiving some well-deserved criticism, Goldman apologized, said he didn't mean to use that word, eliminated, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This is all the left has left. So watch for more of the same. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Ballsberg. Catch my show Monday to Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT Radio Vision. While serving in Vietnam, a grenade took my ability to see. Today, I'm a sculptor creating new visions. Now, my fingers are my eyes. As a veteran, I know the challenges of life can be great. In my art, turning a lump of clay into something beautiful, that means a lot to me. Life is like that. We each must use what we can to make things better. DAV helps veterans like Michael get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. Now, I show others how they can create something with their own hands. With support from DAV, more veterans can shape their lives into a thing of beauty. My victory is bringing beauty into the world. Michael Naranjo, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. You're with Lembit Opic on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Good morning. Just coming up to 10 to 7, Greenwich Mean Time, which means it's uh, mid-evening in Melbourne and Sydney uh, and the middle of the night in America and Cuba. That will be relevant in just a minute. A couple of comments uh, first from the chat. Penny Wong, good call. Keep switching leaders with unelected globalists. Seems to be the general plan across the board, says Holly. Albo and his ego. Good name for a band, I think. Uh, and she says, don't take credit for... Uh, 
that trust woman, Lembert, what a clown she was. I wasn't taking credit. It was more of a confession there. Barbara says, learn so much from TNT Radio. Thank you. Uh, well, you're welcome. That's what we're here for. And Chris adds, this trust would have been a better choice than Richie Rich. Uh, she was ousted by the globalists because she didn't suit their agenda. That's a shameful and naive thing to say about her, Lembert. The British public were robbed when she was ousted. I didn't necessarily expect uh, express a specific point of view about her being uh prime minister and her potential capabilities simply that she went there and then went immediately into reverse whether she deserved it or not is a subject for a different day but a subject for today do keep your calls and comments by the way uh in tnt radio live i can't possibly uh keep up with them but you do have the chance to read all of it as you go on we're going now to another part of the world where it is night time we're going to meet ed augustine havana-based british filmmaker and journalist uh the story here is that uh, there's been a vote in the united nations which has been reported in the morning star that's what i saw over the weekend where uh, the sanctions were criticized by 187 votes to three two of the notable votes <laughs> supporting them, proposing the rest of the UN, were, of course, you guessed it, United Nations, United Kingdom. But what's it like to be in Havana? What's it like to be in Cuba under this kind of sanctions regime? Joining me now is the man on the ground, Ed Augustine. Ed, been a while. How are you doing? Lovely to see you, Lembic. Um, Lembit, sorry, God, I'm a bit groggy. I just got out of bed <laughs> um, 15 minutes ago because uh, it's, it's, it's almost two o'clock in the morning here, but I couldn't resist the call to be on your show. I'm so pleased that you're here. Morningstar says denying the blockade of Cuba is madness. The US blockades Cuba for political reasons. It's recognized and opposed at the UN at a rate of 187 nations to three. Uh, first of all, what's it like to live in Cuba, Ed? It's kind of like living in uh, Wonderland. Like Wonderland is in Alice in Wonderland. Everything feels upside down. It's an odd place. It's a wonderful place in many ways. Um, Bigger things about Cuba, the music's brilliant, lots of culture, um, you know, famous that everyone's got some level of healthcare, some level of education. Um, it's a very outgoing uh, society and Cubans have got this great, lovely ability. I think the, the, the Brits and the Aussies are quite similar in that, that we've got um, gallo gallows humour and the Cubans have got that in spades uh, and ability to kind of like laugh at their own misfortunes and by god do they need it right now because things here are grim you know like it's, it's always been very tough here it's a, a ruling communist regime problems around freedom of expression it's not a democracy it's a one-party state so the ruling globalists that a couple of your uh, uh callers uh, mentioned um certainly aren't in power here um but there's one problem from most cubans point of view and that's the economy the economy is always a problem here always really 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 scarce to even get hold of eggs you have to kind of do pirouettes and 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 call lots of different people to see who can who's got eggs uh, everything is scarce in a way that we, we're just not used to for example in the uk where where i'm from um mm. and things have got a lot um tougher in the last few years because those those sanctions that you mentioned that are so criticized by countries around the world just supported by two countries in every vote at the UN, the United States and Israel, um, yeah. they, they've really made life difficult um, because they've been around for over 60 years, but they were really um, made more, more powerful than ever by the Trump administration and the Biden people have kept that in place. So that, along with the pandemic, um, which which is quite a few years away uh, now, um, you know, made, 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 made the economy much worse because there's hardly any tourism. And so people yeah, are really yeah. um, going through a tough time at the moment. Yeah, I'm aligned to the UK. It was US and Israel 
with Ukraine abstaining. Surprise, surprise. Uh, now, this oh. story has been covered over this weekend, even though the vote was a little while ago. Um, in practice, what do the Cubans think would be the solution to their travails? Um, Cuban people or Cuban government? Cuban people, the, the public. Cuban people. Well, there's 11.2 million of them. Um, I think there's kind of two main things you hear. Um, the government here is not very popular, um, especially with young people. So increasingly, lots of people are saying, we just need a new government. You know, like the, these people aren't up to it. The economy doesn't work. Um, and then the other thing that's shared by the vast majority of the population um, is just get rid of these sanctions. You know, like if it just just stop sanctioning us, because the thing is, it's all very well and good not to like a government. But this is collective punishment. This is saying we don't like your government, so therefore we're going to punish you. And so the sanctions take, you know, cut billions a year off uh, the island's economy. And that, in the end, is less money for petrol, less money for food, less money for medicine. And there are lots of companies that don't want to sell um, vital products to the population because they're scared of, of getting fined by the US. So I'll just give you one example. Um, incubators for, 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 for premature babies have been... Uh, in the news quite a bit lately because of the, the Israeli bombings of um, more than a few Palestinian children's hospitals. And you've had kids having to be disconnected, for, but babies, infants having to be disconnected from, from, from these incubators. Well, in Cuba, it's quite, not quite so spectacular. You don't have literally bombs falling on babies or doctors being forced to disconnect in incubators. But because of the sanctions, the company that Cuba used to buy incubators from, it's a Japanese company called Atom, They've got no way of making a payment to Cuba because the US told a porky and said that Cuba sponsors terrorism. And as soon as you use the T word, all of the banks or a huge number of international banks just don't want to touch you. And so you've got this Japanese company that says, we want to sell you spare parts to the thousands of incubators you've already got built by us. But they can't find a way to make the payment. And so they, you, you do have similar to in Gaza, but not quite as you know visceral, not quite as obvious. Premature babies dying right now for lack of incubators, and that's directly because of the sanctions. Now, it's not reported much, and here we're back to what some, some people might call globalists. It's not reported very much that those sanctions have a cost in blood, have a cost in lives. But Cubans know that. And um, so uh, together with the government, those US sanctions, um, m most Cubans I know would say, just take them off us. It's not our fault. We've got this government that, 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 that the US doesn't like. Uh, and yet at the same time, the other breaking story I saw at the weekend about Cuba, which really drew my attention, was that Iceland Air, Iceland Air is planning direct flights to Cuba. So on the one side, uh, Cuba is being isolated by its nearest neighbor, the United States. But they've got and Iceland. <laughs> they got Iceland, yeah. And, and uh, this is the point. <laughs> it's just like, but it seems completely contradictory. On one side, Iceland's saying, go to Cuba. And I bet you the climate's a bit better in Cuba than Iceland. And the other side, so, uh, saying, go I understand the Icelanders, to be honest. <laughs> you can imagine that, that a trip to the Caribbean would be uh, alluring. I'd, I'd love to go to Iceland, Liam. I've never been. I've heard that there's no trees. Is that true? No, it's not true. I've been there, and there are trees. Oh. There, there is ice. Why do we and there say are that? trees. Why do you say there are no trees? Because it sounds like there won't be any trees because it's called Iceland. But the, anyway, the fact yeah. is, you think Iceland's a fairly conservative place, seems happy to do business with Q 
Cuba, uh, while America, which is like 65 miles away, says don't do it. In fact, a, 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 a film has been uh, promoted last week about uh, a lady who, who apparently swam to Florida in 2013. Mm. Once again, another example of, of the propaganda, I suppose, in a way. Uh, but you must like Iceland, finally. So not Iceland, Cuba. You got me yeah. talking about Iceland now. You must like Cuba because you live there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have I've got a couple of um, kids here, so they're half Cuban. Um, I love it loads, but yeah, I think I, I mean, I mean to, to be honest, it's a bit embarrassing. You're ahead of me. I didn't know about Iceland there, uh, and the Icelanders coming on mass and bringing that ice to cool cool the country down a bit. But <laughs> that's a bigger point. Like th that, the U.S. government on this is so isolated, um, um, and and it really is the rest of the world voting against those sanctions, and they have done for the last thirty years, thirty one years in the UN General Assembly. I mean, it's the UN General Assembly, so it's got no enforcement power. In the end, the big mafia boss, the US, can just do what it wants, and it does that uh, in the face of the international community. But um, in Cuba, there's a joke that uh, when when there's the vote against uh, uh, when when the world votes against the, those 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 sanctions and calls for them to be lifted, it, it's normally US and Israel. That, that consistently vote against the rest of the world. Sometimes Ukraine, um, Brazil, the other year with Bolsonaro, but, but constantly it's the US and Israel. And what people here in Cuba say is it's US and US voted <laughs> uh, against the rest of the world. Thank you, Ed. We'll have you on again. Our man in Havana, that's Ed Augustine. wonder what you think. Have you been to Cuba? Tell me what you think. Coming up in the next hour with me, uh, we're going to be talking climate change, Gaza, and a review of the weekend news. All of that with me, Lemby Turpic, right here at the home of free speech. That's TNT Radio.